Jennifer Fraser is author of The Bullied Brain, Heal Your Scars and Restore Your Health. She has a PhD in comparative literature and The Bullied Brain is her fourth book. She draws on medical, neuroscientific, and neurobiological research to examine what happens to brains that are bullied and abused. Jennifer is an award-winning educator and works as a coach, consultant, and international presenter. This podcast is a dialogue that works in the first season like a coaching session. Eric shares his childhood experiences of being abused, and Jennifer discusses the implications for brain and for recovery. Our goal is to use Eric's childhood abuse like a case study as most people don't learn about their brains or about how abuse impacts their brains. The research is clear that the brain is innately wired to repair and recover when we know the harm done and the evidence-based practices to heal. This is the focus of Jennifer's book, but it comes to life in a podcast as Eric bravely walks us through the abuse done to him and his many strategies for healing his neurological scars. For all those who have suffered bullying, abuse, and trauma, join us to look at it through the lens of brain science and learn ways to repair the harm done. Hey everybody, so today Jennifer's going to tell me, she was scolding me right before I hit record and I told her she needed to wait till we, we hit record so so she could give everybody the benefit of her wisdom as she slaps my wrist. <laughs> <laughs> all I was saying is that Eric has had a stressful day. All of us go through this incredible stress of the technology either just shutting down or not working, or we've lost something or, you know, it, and it's the Murphy's law of the more important the meeting, the more technology issues you have, et cetera. Every single person who works with computers knows this. They're the greatest benefit in the world and the most annoying thing any of us deals with in our work day. So Eric has had all kinds of like pretty major computer issues all morning. So all I was simply saying is, why don't we stop at, you know, we'll stop sooner or we'll just cancel for today. So you've got time to recover. And of course, being, you know, maybe Eric, he's insisting on just driving through all the stress. <laughs> and that, that's a good segue into let's talk. I want to talk about mental toughness today because I hear it a lot, right? Like, oh, you're so inspiring or, or I don't know how you did it. I don't think I could live like, I, I don't think I could have done that. And if frustrating, you because what else, there's a couple reasons, right? So the context I'm using it now is when my wife died and everybody's like, oh my gosh, you've done so much and, and it's so inspiring. And, and it's, it's really, to me, it was, it was, well, what choice did I have? I, I don't remember somebody coming, tapping me on the shoulder and saying, hey, I've got this man. And I'm not, I don't mean to make light of anybody who, who maybe they had a, a similar, a similar situation and perhaps they gave their child up for adoption or you know, they young pregnancy and, and they or they and they terminated it because they couldn't deal with it. My point being, I, I don't think we're doing anybody any favors by saying, oh, my gosh, I don't know how you did that. I feel like we're we're glorifying mental toughness. And it, it's really more about bandwidth. Right. I mean, like I I have my bandwidth is the way it is because there's a lot of stuff I just don't give a crap about. Right. So I don't, I, you know, that frees up a lot of space, but the longer later in the day, let's your point, Jennifer, about today, my bandwidth is nowhere near as it usually is during these calls. And we have these scheduled every other week. And I don't know if I'm being coherent. So I'm going to stop here and, and let you kind of filter through all that babble. Well, I think you said something really important at the beginning, which is the idea that all of us have different capacity at different times. And they even know in terms of brain development that 
if you are being abused, it depends on the timing and it depends on your individual brain, how it will get processed. Like that's how complex and unique all of our brains are. And this is why it's really worrisome, you know, when very, very high up, so like government politician high up is, is making big blanket decisions about people's rights, people's rights to read certain books or to care for their body or to care for their family or their health or, you know, even their sexual orientation. It's like, that's really not the place for high, high level blanket decisions because all of us have such profound differences in who we are and what we're dealing with and what's going on in our own personal makeup. Like our brains, as we've talked about before, are as individual as our, as our fingerprints. So really we need to be working with, as we've talked about many times, mental health professionals. That person can guide us. They've got expertise. They know, they have so much knowledge about how, how to help us through all of these incredibly difficult decisions we need to make or suffering that we're undergoing or losses that we might have like a death, you know? And, and same thing with, we need educational professionals to help us guide us. What should children be reading and doing? Should they be 24 seven on the internet? You know, these aren't political decisions. These are really hands-on close psychologists, psychiatrists, doctors, educators, you know, that's who we should be really working with in very, you know, personal capacities. Because on a given day, so today for you, you're able to just see right away, you're, you're on a low energy day because you've had to expend a massive amount of energy dealing with a computer crisis. And from a brain point of view, the brain was evolved to manage the body budget. And when the body budget gets depleted, and there's lots of deficits, you need to, you need to invest in it. So the body really is, is kind of for you today leading the show. You might need exercise. You might need more alone time. You might need really high quality protein, healthy foods. And then you're going to need a really good night's sleep. Those are the things that are going to, in connection with people that you care about, those are the things that are going to really help you with this depleted body budget that you have today. But if you just, you know, say, oh, mental toughness, I'm going to drive the body. I'm going to make the body serve my agenda, no matter what's being depleted from it. You can bring yourself into really serious health crisis. Yeah. And I, I can tell you, I, I feel it like I'm, I could feel just how tired I am. Just like I hit a wall. And it's only three, three o'clock Eastern Standard Time. And, you know, I get up early. I get up around two, three o'clock in the morning. So I'm used to feeling tired in the evening, you know, five, six o'clock. So for me to hit the wall like this, it's like, yeah, it's taken a toll. And I also feel like I don't want to make any major decisions today, right? Like I know I need to go buy a computer, but I'm not going to go buy it today. I'm going to sleep tonight. And, and part of that is my impulsivity. I really don't need to, when I, when I have very low... I feel like I have lower self-control at this point because I'm tired. I'm frustrated. If, if I, if I let my, if I let those base actions bubble, you know, take over, I have, I'm probably going to buy a very expensive computer way more than I need because it's going to feel good. And it's going to scratch that itch of, Oh, I've showed you, you stupid technology, you know, and, and I don't need to do that. But, this has taken me years to figure that out, Jennifer. I mean, I, I remember the, you know, 
in my twenties, I broke a, you know, I broke something and I went out and I bought something right away. And oh my gosh, it was not cool. It just didn't work out. And, and that's why I wanted to do this. So, because I think there are people out there, maybe they're going through a bad breakup and they're thinking, well, I'm just going to go to the bar and find somebody tonight. Or, you know, maybe they just had a car accident or somebody, somebody know had a car accident and they're like, well, I'm, I'm just going to sue or whatever, you know, there, there's that impulse, that first thought that or even it could even be that you got this email at three o'clock and on a Friday afternoon from your, from somebody and you're like, Oh, what the F do you think you're, I'm going to show you don't send it, type it up, save it, save it. If you have to just do not send it because that's that impulse control. The longer you, the body reserves you're talking about. And I think this is anybody, I think it's trained athletes down to, you know, people like me that are more of a couch potato, you know? Yeah, it's really just packed into all of that. Your descriptions, like by using those examples, I think you've given people a really strong sense of what's happened here is your stress response systems being activated. You've been under pretty intense stress for a series of hours for most of your day. So that is the sympathetic stress response. And the sympathetic stress response, just to remind everybody, because it's easy to forget the, the stress response is really what you're calling impulsivity. It's driving a reaction. So your, your sympathetic stress system tells you fight, you know, send back a nasty email or fight. You're going to sue the car driver for whatever fight. You're going to go and replace the partner that you're actually in love with because you're not getting along and you don't know how to fix it. You know, these are all fight responses. The other thing you might do is flight just escapism behaviors. Oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna self-medicate with drugs or alcohol, or I'm gonna escape my pain by watching Netflix for the next three days, or just lying in bed and pulling the covers over my head. Those are all escapist behaviors, right? And, and similarly, you know, freeze behaviors are, I can't make a decision. I don't know how to decide about a new computer. I don't know how to answer this email. I don't know what to say to my partner. I just, I'm frozen. I'm just not gonna do anything. I'm, I'm not gonna, actually engage, you know? And so what we want to do in these times of extreme stress, as you've described, is again, think about, well, how do we replenish? How do we activate the parasympathetic nervous system, which is the opposite of our stress response? So just to remind everybody again, parasympathetic nervous system, one of the best things you can do to activate that is get out in nature, go for the long hike, go for a walk, go for a jog, get out on your bike, whatever it is, get out in nature and remember that you are just a human being having a stressful day and this is your world and nature is your family and you're all connected and there's a whole bigger design at play and that's okay. You don't have to solve everything today. You know, and it really brings your, it brings your heart rate down. It brings your blood pressure down. And this is all documented in science. It's like, incredibly good for you. The other things you could do is aerobic exercise really helps get your parasympathetic nervous system online. The other thing you could do is connect with people that you are connected to and just enjoy their company and let them just buoy you up with their energy, take some of their energy from them, you know, to, to replenish. And, and then mindfulness is a huge one. If you can do the deep, slow breathing, maybe put on a guided mindfulness meditation from the internet or listen to beautiful music, do deep breathing and calm your system down and tell your brain that you're safe. You don't need fight, flight or freeze. There's not a predator. 
you are completely safe. And that's what the slow breathing tells your brain. And then you can start to feel better on a deep level. Thank you, Jennifer. And I want to make sure people understand it doesn't have to be an extreme stress. Like in my case, my computer dumped between meetings and I had a meeting full day. I mean, my, my day today, I think I had six meetings and you're my last one. So, you know, it's not the day when you want your computer to break and you're trying to use somebody else's computer to get a, you know, all your software, but it doesn't have to be that extreme. It could also be death by a thousand paper cuts, right? You have a stressful day at work. And I, I think I had, I had manically emailed you one night after, a, after an ASL class, because I, I was in this situation where it was ASL. It, it's a fun class, right? It was, it's, it's an individual who is deaf, who is teaching us American sign language. She's doing her best to make it fun, but she wants us to be immersed in it. So there's no translator. It's, you know, whiteboard and repetitive using the signs. But for me, because it says 7.15 at night and my day starts at three o'clock in the morning, I'm tapped out. Even on the best of my days, 7.15 on most nights, I'm winding down with my dog, reading a book or watching one last show on Netflix before I go to bed in, in you know, 8.30, quarter nine. So a 7.15, 8.15 class was pretty irresponsible for me to sign up for. It looked good. It sounded good until I actually got in it and I realized I can't keep up. And, and for me, not to be able to keep up with something like basic sign language or, or whatever else, there's a pride thing there too, because I, I pride myself on, I have very high processing speed. I, you know, I pick up things very quickly. I make a lot of, I, I tend to connect the dots pretty quickly, arrogant, you know, sure. But it's, it's how I think of myself. It's my, it's, it's the identity. And then I go into a class like this and I'm like struggling and not being able to keep up and I'm in a brain fog. And I was, and I, I recognize it now, dude, you just didn't have any reserves left. So it doesn't have to be a drastic, oh my gosh, it's death by a thousand paper cuts. You work during the day. How many thousands of decisions do you make consciously or unconsciously? You know, this is why people like Steve Jobs wore the same clothes all the day because it was one less decision they had to make. Yeah, that's, that's a really interesting way to think about it. The idea of decisions how all of these things are taxing. And it goes back to the body budget. If you think about how many times you have, you have deficits taken out of you through the day and how many times you are replenishing. And you know, I mean, you just saying that gave me the idea that maybe a good exercise for people who are struggling to manage their stress is to keep a bit of a journal of, of what, you know, what withdrawals are taken from their, their body all day long. And withdrawals can be someone gets angry with you. You know, what, when I was reading about the science on this, one of the examples that the neuroscientists shared was if your boss just walks into the room or a teacher and you're a kid or a coach and you're an athlete, that is enough to have a withdrawal on the body budget because it's a stressful, it's a, an alpha, a power person, somebody who has authority over you. All they have to do is walk into the room and you've lost a little bit of your body budget. So every time your body budget's getting emptied, you've got to have really good plans for how am I going to fill it back up? You know, and if you fill it back up with something like fast food, I'm very sorry to report this, everybody, don't we all love fast food? However, they know for a fact, it's really not great for your brain. We know it's not good for the body. That's common knowledge. I mean, you have your cheat day, whatever, but it's not good for your brain. And so that will not fill up a body deficit. 
you need to be having like protein, like really unprocessed foods, lots of water, antioxidants like blueberries. You need to be having tons of omega oils like you get in high fat fishes, or you can just take it as a supplement. You know, and I, you know, caveat, I am not a doctor. I'm not dispensing medical information. I'm just telling you what I've read that the neuroscientists say. I'm just your educator. I'm spreading the, the gospel of neuroscience. Well, anecdotally, Jennifer, I can tell you, I've been taking an omega-3 supplement for a lot of years now. And I went off it for a little while and I did notice a difference. Well, my blood pressure changed, not like major, but it did change. And it just, I feel maybe it's, maybe it's placebo effect or not, but I feel better. I feel not, not like, oh my God, I'm got more energy. I just, there's a, I think all of you know, when you feel off, right. I think all of you know, when you get up in the morning, you're like, I just, I don't think I slept right. I, I don't, I can't put my finger on it. I just don't feel right. Yeah. And then it's a real struggle to get back into the groove throughout the day. So, you know, it's those days where you just want to restart, you know, hit the reset button, you know? So and again, anecdotally, the days that I work out, the next, because I work out in the evenings, just because it works better with my schedule, I do my best thinking in the morning. So I really like to leave my mornings open for me to do my writing, my research. That's when I'm really on top of things. And in the evenings, to your point about the energy, that's when I like to do a 25, 35 minute workout cardio. And, and I don't use free weights. I know I should you know, include those, but I, I, I tend to do more of, you know, aerobic exercise, sit-ups, crunches, all those. But it, it, instead of wiring me to the point where I'm not gonna be able to sleep at night, it gets me actually more relaxed. You know, if I, if I work out an hour, hour and a half before, before I go to sleep, you know, and again, I'm seeing my blood pressure because I take my blood pressure in the morning and the evening because I've, I've been warned by my doctor, I'm gonna have to go on meds if I don't get under control. And I have, I've been able to get it down and through exercise and, you know, I, I do a five, 10, five to 10 minute guided meditation using the call map again in the evening. So I'll, I'll do, I'll work out, then I'll do the meditation, you know, play with my dog a little bit and then I go to bed. And again, that's all anecdotal. I can't say it's going to work for everybody. I'm certainly not a, a fitness expert. I can tell you, I have noticed a change in my blood pressure in my health, even, even my, my temper, like I used to have a really quick temper and I would just rage. And this has helped me stop at the frustration level. I still get frustrated, but it doesn't escalate as quickly. You see, that's another example. You've just given a really good example of using parasympathetic nervous system techniques like exercise and eating healthily. Another thing that the neuroscientists refer to the parasympathetic nervous system as rest and digest. So you know how a kid will tell you in the morning, I've got a stomach ache going to school. And that should be a question for us adults. You know, is there something going on? Are you feeling stressed out? Because that could well be the sympathetic nervous system at play. You know, a, a kid can't, or, or adults too, of course, you can't sleep at night. You've got insomnia. Well, chances are good your sympathetic nervous system's activated. You know, your mind is churning. You're anxious about something. You're worried. You feel out of control. You've, you know, you've got really serious concerns like financial concerns or whatever. You're worried about one of your kids. We all know what, what it's like. That's sympathetic nervous system. And what's really important is to have things like the routine that you describe and really knowing your own clock. Like some people are, 
are not morning people. I'm, I have the same pattern as you. I don't get up that early, but I, I do my most clear thinking in the, and most creative thinking in the mornings and I lose energy as the day goes on. I can't, I have got nothing to offer in the evenings, like seven o'clock. It's like, oh, I don't even want to talk on the phone. It's like, ew, I have nothing to say. But lots of, my mom, for example, used to be the absolute opposite. She didn't, didn't even want to talk to us until after 10 o'clock and a certain number of coffees and she's read the newspaper and commentated on it you know and that's just the type of clock she had and then she was just a you know center of a of the party in the evenings she could party all night talk 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 ha 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 you know really extroverted so we all have our own personal you know nobody can tell anybody else what's the best thing to do but what you can do is is really get to know yourself and trust your own needs and then accommodate them with the best system possible to, to manage that sympathetic nervous system. So going back to just the key thing that you said there was, you used to lose your temper. Well, that would have shot your blood pressure through the roof as well. Why? That's sympathetic nervous system. You're, you're thinking by a minor frustration or a major frustration that you're face to face with a predator. And, and so your, your system is preparing you to fight it. And this is where all this rage is coming from and this energy and so on terrible for your heart and your blood pressure and everything so it's really great to develop a system and all these parasympathetic nervous system things you're doing to keep yourself you know just healthier happier all that kind of stuff yeah and i don't get to go out in the woods as much as i'd love to but now that it's warmer you know diego my dog and i we tend to go out like last week we did seven miles in the appalachian trail yeah. and that's that's our gym he and i and we go out early, right? We're on the trail by 6.30, we're home by nine. Yeah. So, you know, but that's, that's what I would encourage people to do is find something that works and then make it a routine because it's not going to be a habit right away. But if you put it in your calendar that, okay, every, you know, four days out of four days out of seven, I'm going to do this and give you, that way you give yourself grace, right? Because if you say, I'm going to do seven days, you're not leaving your, any room for, oh, the babysitter couldn't come tonight or, oh, you know, something I had to work late or, you know, whatever. But if you do four days, I feel like that gives you, you know, that's what I do. I like to get, I, it, you know, in my vision, I actually have it for three days, but I really shoot for four to hold myself accountable for it. That way, if there's a day where I'm just not feeling it or, you know, I'm, I have a later meeting and I'm like, okay, it's, it's, I just got off the, I just got off the meeting at 6.30 p.m., I, I need some downwind, you unwind. I really, I'm going to have Pop-Tarts and a bowl of cereal for dinner, you know, or what I, granted, that's not the best for, you know, but the point Pop is give yourself grace. Pop-Tarts, come on, Eric. We just had a big conversation about nutrition and you <laughs> just ruined everything by telling people that you, they can have Pop-Tarts. My, yeah, they're, they're my like guilty pleasure, them and cheesecake. So if they had like cheesecake Pop-Tarts, I'd be in heaven. <laughs> yeah, I, I have a terrible, terrible sweet tooth. It's just shocking and appalling. Yeah. <laughs> my vice though is wine. Come, come around five o'clock. I love to have wine. It, it indicates to me that the end of the workday has appeared and I can do whatever I want now. And it's very, very childish and really quite unhealthy, I think. So it, it's something that, you know, all of us need to tackle our, our little vices and cheats and things we do. But I think it's okay to do that, right? Like, and, and I'm a bourbon guy. I don't, I don't have a bourbon every night, but I, I can tell you after the day I've had today, I will be having a glass of bourbon. <laughs> well, it's Friday. So yeah, and I, I, and I try, you know, for me, I've known 
and this is what, you know, I want to get back to under, I feel like people should know themselves. And this is more from a productivity thing, more than a health thing for, from my point of view. Like, I know if I drink after six o'clock at night, I'm not going to sleep well, which is going to ruin the next day. And the fact that it's just going to be hard for me to get back into my groove. And that has a cascading effect for me because it's just, you know, once I get out of my groove, it's really hard to get back into it. And, and I don't like losing, especially being a business owner, I don't like losing the, the productivity and the, the quality of work. You know, I, I would much rather sacrifice in air quotes that I don't drink after six o'clock just because of the cascading negative effects, you know? Yeah, that's another really good example of how, you know, deeply aware you are of your body budget so that, you know, you know, in the early evening, you love to have a glass of bourbon and you also know that it starts to be a depleter if you're having it after six because you're, you're not getting the rest and digest that you need. And it, I mean, gosh, the neuroscience on sleep is unbelievable. Our brains are so active at night and it's an important time for them. And, you know, although our body rests, our brains are really just so alive and we don't wanna have anything messing with that. So, I mean, it's really great actually that you can share with everyone that you've developed. And I think it's really important that idea of habits and routines for people, if you haven't read the book, Atomic Habits, it's a wonderful book. book. Yeah, it's a wonderful book. It can be used to really develop a plan and a purpose. I use atomic habits in my book, The Bullied Brain, like to let people understand and really to get them to let themselves off the hook if they have trouble developing good routines and good habits after they've suffered the trauma of bullying or abuse. And the reason I do it, I, the reason I use atomic habits is it's so brilliant but it's also, if you've been bullied or abused, it's not gonna work for you. Because what happened to the author, I can't remember his name, anyway, it doesn't matter. What happened to him was he had a, a baseball bat when he was a kid thrown at him and not thrown at him, just randomly by accidentally hit him. And it caused a very, very serious brain injury. And so everybody from the field came right to him to help him. And he was rushed into you know emergency and then he was, airlifted to a bigger hospital and when he landed on the tarmac at the in the helicopter hundreds it looked like it's probably more like 10 you know medical personnel came running to save him and so he and then he put his life back together after this traumatic brain injury by the all the habits that he had built up in his life for fitness and exercise and rehabilitation he dedicated himself to that program so i say all this in the book and then i say and you know what if you've had a bullied brain or an abused brain, you didn't get any of that. You didn't even know that you were hurt. You have all these neurological scars. You have all of this destructive behavior wired into your brain and you don't know why. Because it, it wasn't by accident, first of all. You were targeted by an abuser or a bully. So you were targeted by someone who knew you, who had access to you, who had some type of power over you. And they relentlessly set out and who, you know, we can talk about intention or not, but they, either they just passed on their own damage or they intentionally did it, whatever. But the point being, no one came running to help you. There was no medical response. There was no compassion or empathy around the incredible brain injury you were suffering. 
And so you eternalized the brain injury. You think it's your own fault that you behave the way you do. You have no understanding. So you don't put into place a, a kind of rehab program. And there's no medical professionals or mental health professionals around you putting it together unless you seek that out later in life as you have done, as I have done as a person who needed to get that professional help and then put into place a program to, to recover and to repair the neurological scars on my brain. And so that's why I use atomic habits because I find that people who've been bullied and abused tend to beat themselves up a lot and think it's their fault that they are not exercising and they're they're self-medicating with really just destructive things like alcohol and drugs and all these sorts of you know it just becomes this cycle of self-harm and self-disappointment and you don't develop a belief in yourself that allows you to do the deliberate practice to get better and yet all of those things are within your reach but first you have to come to terms with you were injured you are injured on the inside, it can't be seen. We don't have a society that's yet up to speed with the neuroscientific research that looks at brains or the damage that they've sustained at the hands of abusive people. And so you've got to love yourself and forgive yourself and, and start to fulfill your potential and build those atomic habits with an understanding that, yeah, you suffered a probably 10,000 time worse brain injury than the random bat that hit whoever it was that wrote Atomic Habits. <laughs> Sorry, I don't have a good memory today. No, it's again, I bet you if we asked you first thing in the morning, you'd be able to rattle it off. You know, I really like that body budget. I really think, you know, and maybe that's something you and I can work with offline about creating like a, a template or something for people to use. You know, it's, it's not, I would love to do that. I think that's a great idea. That kind of idea just popped into my head. And I actually do think would be really useful. It's based on the science of Lisa Feldman Barrett, who I'm pretty sure I've told you about before. She's the genius who does all the research on how we construct emotions. Lisa Feldman Barrett for your, for your listeners. And Thank you. I'm, I'm making a note of that. And I'll have all of this in the show notes. And if by the time this airs, we have a template created that'll be linked in the show notes. But I think it's something Jennifer and I will, will look at. And it doesn't have to be super fancy. But, you know, and oftentimes all you need is a, a template and you can build something on your own. But like for me, I often do better if I have something to build off. What came to mind while you were talking, Jennifer, as I reflected on my own journey, is how. I didn't know there was anything wrong with, and, and this might not be the best language, but I didn't know that there was anything wrong with me at first, other than the fact that my parents thought I was, you know, deficient and I shouldn't have been born. And, you know, so I didn't have a lot of self-confidence. I couldn't put words to that, but because of that lack of self-confidence, I found myself either being alone all the time, being a loner. And I still prefer to be alone, but, or I would, I would associate with people that weren't going to help me get anywhere in life. You know, I think we all know people out there like that, whatever you want to call them. And I, I, I have since subscribed to, you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And I, I am choosing to include that in to, to podcasts or anything else that is, that I'm giving brain space to. Because I'm, I'm letting that influence my actions, behaviors, the books I read, the podcasts I listen to, you know, all of that, I feel in today's digital age can have as much of an impact as socializing with somebody, especially for me, I don't socialize that much, right? Most of what I get from the outside is coming via book, you know, or from, you know, from podcasts. So, so that's where, where I think 
you have to be careful of if you're if you're coming out of a, an abusive relationship or you've you've been bullied be careful about who you surround yourself with i'm not suggesting you keep your guard up all the time because that can be exhausting too but but really ask yourself is this somebody that i want to aspire to be like yeah, you know, Lisa Feldman Barrett, this idea of constructed emotions, you just, in a sense, alluded to it in a really important way, because she talks about how we can't actually have an emotion if we don't have the language for it. That the way the brain understands feelings that come out of our bodies and what our bodies are experiencing. So, you know, the, the rush you might feel of frustration is going to be tension in your body it's going to be maybe change the way your stomach feels. It might feel like constriction in your breathing. It's a very interoceptive experience. But if you don't have the word that describes it, then you can't, your brain can't really understand it. So you can imagine the confusion that a child has that's been abused and has not been taught the language either through culture or in their family or at school to put a name to it. So you misname things. So instead of an emotion concept like, I was betrayed, I was betrayed by my parents, you say, I'm deficient. I, I, offer, I offer little. I am not confident because I have nothing, of, I don't offer anything of value. You know, you can think of all the different words and I mean, you learn a lot of words from your parents. And if your parents are abusive, you're learning a lot of incorrect emotion concepts. And you can carry those through the rest of your life. Or like you say, we all have the opportunity to change the emotion concepts that were handed out to us as kids by our culture, our family, our schools, the labels that were put on us. Even diagnoses, as you and I have talked about, that's someone in a sense giving you a kind of new emotion concept for self-understanding, but you don't have to you don't have to keep it and you can change it. Our brains are, we all have neuroplasticity. That means our brains are changed by the company we keep. If you surround yourself with an environment of people that don't push you to fulfill your potential, you're never going to, you're just going to stay on that level and that's okay. But you also have, all of us have the opportunity to change our environment by what we listen to, what we read, what we watch and who we talk to. And, and if you're in a toxic relationship and you feel awful all the time, you can leave that toxic relationship and find a positive one that will, and your brain will literally change and adapt and rewire to this new healthy environment you're in. It's amazingly empowering. It's inspiring. Yeah. And, and it's, it's hard because I used to be a person who complained all the freaking time about everything. And now I like to think I'm pretty positive and I, and I tend to be very positive, but it took a lot of work. It took me consciously reframing and saying, okay, it's really not that bad. And again, but a lot of this came from books that I've read, you know, like Atomic Habits, like there's just so many books I've read over the years because that's how I take information. I'm a, I, I am a voracious reader because that is, that's my thing. But if you, if your preference is to, watch YouTube videos or listen to audiobooks or however you take the information in, then, then look for that. Look, I wouldn't, not that there's anything wrong with Tony Robbins, but I feel like Tony Robbins is cotton candy because it'll make you feel good, but there's no substantial, nothing to help you make a change and keep a change. 
whereas with somebody like Tim Ferriss, who's taken a lot of different, he, he takes a lot of other p- information and makes it digestible and puts it out there. And, and be, you know, be careful what content you, you consume there too. Just be aware of what you're consuming and, and who it's, what it's really designed to do. Is it designed to be a morale boost, make you feel good for the short term, like Tony Robbins, a lot of his stuff is, and, and other, in air quotes, motivational speakers. That's all there to give you a boost of motivation. But motivation fades. And if you don't do the work to, to keep you motivated on your own, you're, you're going you're gonna to find, I believe, you're going to find yourself falling back into some of the, the same old habits, same old traps. Yeah, it's, I mean, for me, that's why I turned to the brain science, because I really needed something that was, I was at such a place, I needed evidence-based sort of objective I needed a new language. I needed a new way of understanding. I felt really stuck. I felt like I felt trapped actually in the abuse bullying paradigm. And I felt like there was just no exit that it was just going to go around and around and around. And I was, I wasn't just trying to make change for myself. I was trying to make change for, you know, children basically going forward and I couldn't find a way to do it. And that's the science has been really helpful to me, but I think that you know, this is, we've come full circle in our conversation, because just as you say, everybody has to find their own method. All of us have different ways. Like, I think some people, they process, they learn, they develop through music or through television shows that they love. You know, the company that they keep are these people that are funny and they're empathic or they're outrageous or they have adventures. Like, I can see that being so inspiring and and healing for people, you know, when we all just have to learn what is the best path for us, one realistic one that we can stick to, where we're not going to just feel pumped up in the in the moment and then it'll fade away. But just a final thing on that, I find it useful to remember that the brain learns by making mistakes. So you don't have to be hard on yourself when you, you know, one day you were super motivated and the next day you feel really, really low it's okay to unpack that. Like what, what, what was the thing that, that gave you a high and then kind of dropped you down? And how can you avoid that next time? All of those types of mistakes that we make or failures that we have, it's really our brain constantly working and learning and processing. And it's just this remarkable apparatus or organ, I guess, whatever, that just never stops trying to make sense of a complex world. And it's, it's miraculous. I think that's a great call to action, Jennifer, is, is for our listeners to take a moment and really think about how they learn, how they, how they take in new information, what, what works, what doesn't work. And I would like to challenge you, the listener, to pick one thing to learn this month, you know, and, and that's it, you know, just if it's reading a book, if it's, if it's playing the piccolo, you know, I don't even know what that is, but it came to mind. So just something that'll, that'll improve you and, and give you a sense of, I can do hard things because anytime you start something new, it's hard. It doesn't mean you have to go do trigonometry or, or I mean, if, if you've never played tic-tac-toe before and you go pick up a pencil to play, it's going to be hard. So if you hear somebody say, do hard things, they don't mean well, I'm, I'm choosing to believe they don't mean going out and bench pressing 500 pounds. Well, you have to build to things. 
you know, it's really, it's important to understand that like that awkwardness that you have at the beginning of starting something, if you, if you think of that on a brain level, it's because the neural networks required for tic-tac-toe are not myelinated. It's as simple as that. But if you play tic-tac-toe every single day, what you start to do is you start to myelinate that neural network. And that means you start to build this, this fatty substance around all of the communicating patterns in the brain for tic-tac-toe that, that insulate it. And that allows the skill, the information required for your brain to communicate with your hands and with your brain to figure out the patterns and all those different things you need for that game. They are getting more and more and more efficient just simply because you're working at it. So if you've got the courage to work through the early days of, you know, you can't, you can't lift five pounds, but you know, in two years, you're going to hit, well, maybe you're not going to hit 500, but you're going to hit whatever a huge weight is for people that's realistic <laughs> by practicing and by slowly, but surely building, building, building your physical strength, same thing with your mental strength. And it literally can be seen on a brain scan. So, you know, just, it's part of that visualizing what's going on in your head and being really kind to yourself, like having self-compassion during the awkward phase of learning. You have to go through that because you don't have myelinated neural networks. It takes time. You don't all, you don't have awesome heart lung capacity because you haven't been jogging every day. It's going to take time, but it's the key to everything is deliberate practice. You can get good at all kinds of stuff that you want. Yeah. And that's, that's why after a brain injury or something, People that used to, you know, they have to relearn everything. Yes, exactly. That's a good, really good example. But we can do that. You can have a stroke and have to relearn how to walk, talk, and use small motor movements in your hand. You can, you can have a habit in your life, like losing your temper. And you can approach that in a rehab way too. Like, oh, I got to do the, I got to do the, you know, the physio, except physio for the brain where I stop behaving that way because it doesn't bring me anything. It doesn't make me happy. And it just hurts people I care about and I'm not going to do it. You can change that behavior. It's amazing. And I think that's a great place to leave it is you can, if you want to, and you're willing to put in the work, change that behavior. And I, the last thing I want to add is, is circle back to something you said early on in, the, in this episode, with the help of the right mental health professional, psychologists, psychiatrists, therapists, you don't and you shouldn't do this on your own. I didn't overcome my my anger issues just by reading books and, you know, running outside with my dog. You know, I, I worked with a professional. I really encourage you to work with a professional too. Yeah, I totally agree. Thank you for listening to The Bullied Brain. As a reminder, neither Jennifer nor I are licensed clinical physicians psychologists or mental health professionals everything we are talking about during this podcast is anecdotal as it relates to me eric jorgensen if you are looking for help or you would like to seek answers to your own questions we encourage you to seek out a mental health professional in your area please do not try to do or overcome any trauma on your own thanks for listening